So let's just take a moment and uh, set the space and connect with each other. So if you can take a deep breath in with me and exhale. I'm just going to open the field this morning in sacred service to the law of one. North, south, east, west, earth, sky, heart, and space. I ask, command, and intend for the highest exchange according to the will of God. Beloved creation, please anchor this space as sacred in the living, organic light code. We are God, we are sovereign, and we are free beings. And so it is. We are rolling. Okay. All right, Bradley. Well, nice to be here with you. Uh, welcome to Divine Throughline. I'm Ma Ananda Srimati, sometimes known as Julie Pyatt. And I'm here to share with you um, actually sort of a discussion and a discourse around how to survive a life dismantle. Um, this is going to be episode 31. Is that what it is, Brad? It is, episode 31. Okay, right on. So I've asked Brad to kind of join me here today because I wanted to do uh, to offer this information as more of a discussion um, and a conversation. You're so good at conversation, so I'm happy you're here. So thank oh, you. Thank oh, you for thank that. you. Pleasure. So, My pleasure. So anyway, okay, so in uh, in episode 30, Rich and I, uh, I welcomed my soulmate and, and love and partner and husband, Rich Roll, on to my show for the very first time. Uh, but anyway, we uh, we kind of got a little bit deeper into our own dismantling and talked a little bit about, you know, what it was about us that, you know, produced sort of a more bonded and a more unified unit rather than blasting us apart. And he also asked me some questions about um, how to... Um, you know, to describe like, well, what is a dismantle? You know, because I, I use that word very freely and it, it's very uh, meaningful to me. It makes a lot of sense to me, but maybe other people don't really understand. And so I think one of the key things and the reasons that we emerged so beautifully, um, although it was a very, very long period of time, you know, uh, seven years of really full dismantle, and there was a year ramp up and a year ramping down. So I would say it's really was really sort of a nine year journey of this kind of experience. Um, and I would say that the key thing that really allowed me to stay in my power and to um, become a more creative being and a more connected being was uh, the perspective that I chose. And it was simply a choice of perspective. I mean, we all have events and things that happen to us in our lives, and the difference in those experiences is directly related to your perception of what has happened to you. So I'm going to speak a little bit now really in the, in the realm of financial dismantle because that's largely what I was going through. I was also going through a spiritual kind of reformation where I felt... Uh, very deep emotions, um, kind of on a planetary level, but that's a whole nother subject. So I'm going to stay more on the 3D level of dismantle and, and what that would look like. So if you're not in financial dismantle, awesome. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> um, and just know that, you know, we're all completely different. So 
it can come in the form of divorce. It can come in the in the form of death. It can come in the form of disease. Um, it could come in the form of mental illness, even or just a complete split. Uh, so you know, we have our beloved master Eckhart Tolle, who you know, literally like kind of lost his mind for a couple years and slept on a park bench. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it can be quite, it can be quite intense. And oftentimes it is very intense because we're so mesmerized by these uh, addictions and consumerism and, uh, you know, living a mundane life that, and that we medicate or we numb ourselves to really what's happening. So what I would tell you is that from our personality, we didn't choose to be dismantled. It's not, you know, like no personality wakes up and goes, today, I want to lose all my money because, you know, that's how, that's where I want to go. So you have these two, these two sort of um, experiences operating simultaneously. And one is the directive of the soul, which the directive of the soul is for you to, us as humans, to realize ourselves or remember who we are or reconnect to our deep essence. And so we incarnate on earth as a sort of school or experience to go through these lessons so that we become, so that we, you know, we in fact go through the alchemy. Um, and so in no way is the personality, you know, like stoked about most of this stuff. <laughs> so it really takes some, some um, focused intention, responsibility, and maturity, and really power, you know, of really stepping into your power and really looking at the landscape. So I would say the first thing and if you're being dismantled, you know who you are because it's a feeling you you just can't deny it. And you feel like, you know, like you're being sort of stripped away piece by piece and being built up. And, you know, hopefully hopefully you're hoping the buildup is coming and that you're just not going to be stripped away and completely obliter obliterated. Um, so you kind of know in, in our case, it was this sort of overwhelming energy that I knew that I had, you know, I could no longer do interior design. I, I was being called into my home. And at the time, I had recently given birth to my fourth child. And if I had gone to a medical doctor, you know, they could have described, you know, or I'm sorry, diagnosed it as like postpartum, or, you know, I certainly had the excuse. Um, but I, I knew that it wasn't that. Uh, but with my close family members and people that don't have a spiritual awareness, I use the the excuse to them. Well, I'm a, I have four children and I need to be with them. You know, I felt like that was that that was enough, it, and it still really wasn't enough because I had been working since I was twelve. I lied when I was twelve years old and worked at Burger King, and I was serving cocktails at the Sheraton when I was sixteen years old you know, underage. So I've worked my entire life. So, you know, it was really weird to wake up one day and not be able to work. Mm -hmm. Now I was able to do anything that was cultivating my true artist. I was able to create at a pure level, but I could no longer look at the world and say, well, I'm going to try to get that design job because that makes me this much money. And then, you know, I couldn't, money couldn't be my reason for doing it anymore. Um, and I think this was an attempt of my soul to connect me with my inner space to, to really, for me to really, really find out who, who I was. And simultaneously, um, 
you know, going back to that. So what I mean by that is I always ask myself this question. If you had four months to live, what would you do? And that helps me to get very clear about where I'm spending my time. So for instance, I'm very good at interior design and I love beautiful environments. And I, I have built two homes from raw land that I was basically worked side by side with the general and did every single aspect of those huge projects. And yet it's not my thing. Like it's not the thing that is the core of my joy. You know, I, I, I'm good at it and I can do it. But if I had four months to live, I wouldn't do that. You know, I wouldn't come to you and say, Brad, I just got to redo your living room. Like, you know, I, I, I've got to do it. See, see, so the, that's a really good sort of um, exercise great. For, for you to do. That's great. Yeah. So, um, so that was the first thing. And then the second thing was, <laughs> this is actually, then you're like, if you're not going to be doing those things to, for money, then what happens? And my... My message was a very dire message. Like, it was a very stern message. It was basically the message to me was, if you do not listen and you enter into these contracts, you will be sued. You will cause tremendous karmic repercussions from engaging in something now that you have the awareness that you're not supposed to be doing it, that it isn't in the highest divine alignment for your, for your being. So it's, it was very, very, very tricky. So I think for the first time, um, you know, I kind of stay, I sat down. I, really, I, I used to call it, I wrote a song about it that I never recorded, but I used to say it was like I was benched. Hmm. I was benched out of the game. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in my entire life, I was to sit down and do nothing. I could be with my kids. I could be in my home. And then when I started meditating, the music started coming. So, um, so, so that's kind of the first sort of landscape. You, you know, you get the idea of what's happening. So the second thing that you need to do to survive really well, to, to survive a dismantle, is you need to redefine your experience, which is completely contrary to what the entire society thinks you're going through. So the society thought um, we, you know, also, just let me add, Rich started going through this simultaneously. So we're both going through this experience simultaneously, which made it very special because <laughs> we didn't even have one person to like hold it up. Right. And then in addition, we do location shoots at our at our house and have for years. And those just dried up, just yeah. never came hmm. during the entire time. Right. So, you know, it literally was an energetic, uh, the, as I say, the universal faucet was turned off. Yeah. There, it was not our time to be doing that. So um, so now I had to redefine my experience. And for me, I took it as a spiritual challenge. It was like, this is my sacred moment. This appears to be a really a big problem that's happening right now. You know, I'm losing, it's the, everything's dropping out of the bottom. You know, um, this really amazing eccentric healer who, no, who no, is no longer in his body named Stuart Wilde. Uh, called it the fall of the ivory tower. And I was just like, yes, like that's exactly what it is. Um, so uh, society thought, you know, that I was a loser, that I was incompetent, that I was irresponsible, that I was not taking care of my children, um, that I was uh, shameful, um, and that um, it didn't matter that I had made money at a certain level and that I had, you know, I had played in the game, you know, successfully in a certain 
realm. As soon as you're no longer there, then you're kind of like you have a disease and no one really wants to get too close to you because really money terrorizes us yeah. as beings on yeah. this planet, right? Yeah. So I used to say that, um, you know, I was, I was, I had my own fashion company and I was moving, you know, a fair amount of money through my account, you know, every month. And I had, you know, a platinum American Express card and, you know, I was, I was doing my thing. I was a fashion designer. Things were moving. And yet if you had walked by me, Bradley, and you had just whispered the word, words, American Express in my ear, mm -hmm. just in the day. I would have had like almost a heart attack, like right. literally like my, because I knew there was all this spending going on, but yet there was, you know, I didn't, it wasn't really stable. It wasn't really real security, you know? So are we having a technical difficulty? Just trying to get the screens to, <laughs> screens to come back up. Here they come. There they are. There they are. Okay. So, um, uh, so anyway, so you know, society was very unhappy with what, what was going on. And in addition, uh, people that are around you, they don't like it when this starts happening to you because what it does is it brings their fear, yeah. their suppressed fear yep. up inside of them. And they don't want, you know, they don't want you to be doing what you're doing because, you know, then that means that it maybe could happen to them, mm -hmm. you know? So it becomes a very, very dangerous place to be because not only are you being dismantled by life, by yourself, by your greater soul, you're also being judged from everybody all at once. Like as if the actual act of being dismantling, dismantled wasn't enough, then you're being judged by everybody else as you go through it yeah. for being a deadbeat, a loser, you know, and it's anger, anger and very sort of negative energy coming at you. And I remember somebody said to me one time, they said, well, you know, if I were you, I, I just wouldn't choose that. I wouldn't choose that. And I just stopped. And I looked at them and I said, well, it, it might just choose you someday. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's like none of us can escape, you know, life's alchemy, you know, mm -hmm. the, the process of becoming. And to think that you're going to be able to you know, go through life in a way that you're never going to have to face yourself is completely unrealistic. And if you do succeed, I would define that as a tragedy of life. Because why are you really here anyway? Right. So throughout this entire thing, what I really wanted to share when I came through this was that when people are suffering, when they're addicted to drugs, when they're, when they've lost all their money, when they've you know, gotten an illness, a terminal illness, you know, when they're, they become divorced, you know, any, anything when they're in, when they're in their sacred moment, as I call it, yeah. the only thing they need to hear from people that love them is I trust you and I believe in you mm -hmm. to find your way. Yeah. That's it. You know, it's that simple. Mm -hmm. And yet, that kind of energy is almost non-existent for us when we're in these situations. Because if you, if you get cancer, in the back of somebody's mind is, what did you do to get cancer? Right. What did you eat? Mm. What did you expose yourself to? Mm. Yeah. What yeah. have you not dealt with? Are what you are you angry about? Right, exactly. <clears throat> and, then if you, and then if you get a divorce, then if you're, if you're the one that gets left, then you were not pretty enough or mm. interesting enough, or sexy enough, or 
you know, caring enough or a good enough cook, right? And then if you're the one that leaves, then you're a scoundrel. Right. You're a user and a and a liar and a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> so so see, we've just we've completely painted ourselves into this complete destructive energy field. Where can we just be human? Where can be we be vulnerable and just be allowed our process with some dignity? Yeah and some self-respect. Who's to say that a drug addict is going through their experience is less profound than mine? Right. You know, who's to say? And so so understanding that this is what's happening, uh, you have an opportunity to redefine your experience. And this takes a lot of strength because you'll have doctors telling you their diagnosis of you, You'll have financial analysts or planners or bankers and lawyers telling you how it is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they infiltrate our divorces. They infiltrate, you know, your financial dismantling. And, you know, I remember going at one point, um, I ended up not, not uh, going through this all the way. But I had a bankruptcy meeting with a bankruptcy um, lawyer at one point. And I remember driving down there and I was very, very um, grounded in my spiritual essence at the time. And I had completely become very facile as be, at being a spiritual warrior in this dismantling. And I went to see him and I walked in and I said, listen, I said, I just want you to tell me the scenarios. Tell me the story of A scenario. Tell me the story of B scenario. Tell me the story of C scenario. And I said, I have no shame attached to my financial collapse, and I have no trauma attached to it. Simply give me the scenario that, that, that could happen. And his mouth was just dropped open. He hmm. said, you know, nobody is having this experience, you know, that come into my office. And I said, well, it's because tragically, we don't know that we are not our credit score. We are so much more than yep. our credit score. Yep. Like, what, what have we reduced ourselves to? And it was a, a profound moment. I, I came with this big talisman mala that I had for years, a big altar with jewels, and it had Rudraksha seeds, you know, big, big ones. And I had meditated with it, you know, for years. And at, the me at that moment in the meeting, my mala broke, and all of the Rudrakshas rolled all over the conference table in off the ends. And I was just like, I was smiling. I was just going, oh, thank God, you know? So it was crazy. I mean, crazy timing. Just clear that energy. Just clear, right there it goes. Woo, <laughs> just went away. And, you know, so, so again, I defined, I chose to define my experience as my sacred moment. I took responsibility over what was happening to me at a soul level. It doesn't mean my personality was happy. It sucked. I mean, it sucked for a long time. And, you know, there were times Rich and I, we break down crying in public, literally. Yeah. We, were, we were pushed to the end of our ability, what we thought, to even manage. And, um, you know, then with all the judgment and everything from everyone around you, it becomes a very isolated and, you know, kind of solo experience, which is maybe by design, you know, that's what it's supposed to be. Um, but I would say that if you're if you're in a difficult situation of of any one of those flavors, it's it's in your power to redefine it and to remember who you are. You are a spiritual being 
having a human experience. So what are you going to do? Like when you drop the body, are you taking your 401k with you? No, you're not. What you're taking is your evolution. What did you learn? Who did you become? How much did you love? How much could you give? And so in all of these experiences that I had, these ugly experiences, you know, a guy coming to repossess, you know, my second car (laughs) after the first one got repossessed, shining a flashlight in my window at night, you know, when I'm home with the kids. And I just, I refused to let that experience take my humanity and my power and my spiritual awareness. And so I viewed everything as a a healing opportunity. Hmm. Everything was a spiritual exchange. So I would open the door. I would ask him his name. I would be calm and loving. I would look in his eyes. I would ask him if he had kids. Hmm. I would ask him if he wanted a cup of tea. I would smile at him. And he would be really, really shocked and kind of freaked out. But at the end of that, if I had done that with grace and there had been a love exchanged between, you know, you know just a kindness exchange sure. between two beings, then I had succeeded in my test. And, you know, I remember the second car that one night, I just looked at Rich and I was like, don't, like, do not move off of neutral. You are not allowed to go into some, I was like, it's a, it's a freaking car. You know, nobody died. It is not who you are. It says nothing about you hmm. and nothing about us. Hmm. That's it. I, I, I chills. Because <laughs> so, it's truth. It's truth. It, it really it is. That is the truth. Yeah. And beautiful. as much as our psyche wants to tell us otherwise, oh, but, 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 but. Yeah. I mean, this is, what a, what a gorgeous story. It was powerful. It was really powerful. Real, real power. Yeah. Real power, the love, the kindness in that mm-hmm. moment. My second, someone's flashing his flashlight in my window. Right. To come repossess my yeah. second car. Yeah. And you wanted to connect with this person because that was that was more more important. That was more real. That was where that was the purpose of that moment. Yes. And to wake up to that in the midst of the fear and everything is it's yeah. very inspiring. And so, you know, I lost the car and I ha- I still have, you know, I've, I have, you know, a, a huge debt, you know, mm-hmm. around that. Um, but I, I think that I extracted the nectar. I went to the highest point of that experience and I, mm-hmm. and I was able to get it. And I'm sure, he, I'm sure it changed him. I'm sure it shifted him. I'm sure it did too. Yeah. Hearing the story changes, changes all of us. Oh, Thanks. Because we we it touches that that same part mm-hmm. in us where those opportunities arise. Yeah. And what what a perspective, like you said, it's it's your perspective. Yeah, it's only perspective, right? and it's just a choice. It's simply a choice. So, um, you know, then I, I remember the kids asking me, you know, mom, you know, what happens when your car gets repossessed? And I was like, look at me. I was like, nothing. Nothing happens. <laughs> I was like, it just goes away. And they were giggling. The car is, the car the is car no, is no longer, longer here. here. <laughs> you know? And they're like, well, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. Something will present itself. Yeah. Let's open up. Let's be oh, grateful. Let's, let's not attach to it. Right. Let's just open. Right. Let's just open and trust and know. And of course, we, were, you know, we weren't like, you, know, the, this, you always get into this sticky sp- uh, point of this with people where they're like, oh, well, you're just sitting around expecting other people to do stuff for you. Yeah. You know? No, we weren't. We were in our dismantle, and we were really trying to find ourselves, and we were really trying to learn the lessons that we that that our soul was trying to teach us. And we did it 
consciously and with gratitude and reverence. And it was not delicate Mm-mm. at all. It was horrible sometimes. But somehow, you know, and really the music, and you were such a big part of that, you know, because you held this beautiful space for me. I mean, everything else was exploding, and I would just find a way to get in here, and we would come in and sing and record. And, and you know, that's why I include the music with the, the music saved me, yeah. like sa- maybe saved my life, mm-hmm. maybe saved my life. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, again, it's like part of this ability to redefine your experience, um, you will also have to take space from people who do not have the ability to see it in your way yeah. because it is crucial that you hold that line. And so there will be times when you don't speak to family members or you no longer interact with that friend you've known forever. It's not appropriate. Your whole, your whole job or your whole mission is to um, protect yourself and be there for yourself and take care of yourself. And it's a really, I also, during this process, I had to learn how to receive. You know, I had been... Like I said, I, I got a job when I was 12. I lied about my age. Nobody ever asked me for my license, you know, back then. So I was just serving alcohol, like completely underage. <laughs> it was the Wild West of Alaska. So, right. you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff happened. But, <clears throat> but um, you know, I, I, I don't think I ever really learned how to receive. I mean, we were sort of taught in our family that if somebody offers you something, even if you want it, you say no. Mm-hmm. So when we were little and someone would say, would you like some lemonade? We would have to, you know, we'd look at our parents and then we'd say, no, thank you. Like, think of that. So then, that was early days. You know, there's been huge transformations since then, but like early days. So here I was completely without an ability. You know, I mean, I had my, you know, neighbor, generous neighbor, lovely, beautiful woman, Linda Ivory, who would, you know, drop off a bag of oranges or um, drop off some shampoo for us. Um, and she knew what we were doing. She believed in us. Like, she could see the whole thing. She was like, oh, you're just, you know, amazing. And then, you know, we had just so many people come into our lives and also came through the in the form of emails of encouragement from people that Rich was starting to connect with through, you know, Finding Ultra and... and um, you know, those, it's, it's amazing how impeccably timed those are in the universal flow. Like, we would be just at the end of our rope. Like, what are we doing? We're, this is totally not working. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if we're even going to live. And then we would get like a six-page handwritten letter from an inmate in prison in like North Carolina. And it would just take our breath away. We were like, oh, my God goodness like we we helped that person or our story lifted that person a little you know so we got to keep going yeah. you know so i think again it's in the it's in the <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> it's in the taking a bird's eye view i'm going to try to break it down into more clear statement It's taking a bird's eye view of what's happening. So you have to get out of your little child who is freaking out. So go back and use the inner child uh, healing technique that we did a few weeks back. I don't know what episode it is. And then understand there are two scenarios going on. Understand that earth is a school. Everything that you are experiencing in your life, you created for your own unfoldment. 
Now, it's okay to kick dirt once in a while. That's all right. It's appropriate. (laughs) I did it plenty. Um, But you have to, you know, allow yourself a certain time, and then you've got to pick yourself up. You've got to rise to a different level and start defining what's going on with you. Like instead of my wife left me saying, this is my sacred moment. This is my opportunity. Bless her for giving me this opportunity. I'm going to not waste it. I'm going to not lose this moment. So let me take it and ingest it with all of my being so that I extract the nectar of life, the nectar of the lesson. It's not about her. You know, for us, it wasn't about the money. You know, it's, it's just the catalyst or the vehicle for you to discover yourself. And um, the second thing is, or that was the second thing. So first thing is bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. Second thing is you choose your own perception. Third thing is um, draw your wagons around. I mean, I hate to say it like that because, of course, you know, it's a friendly universe. Yes, it is. But when you're really, really raw, you need to fortify yourself. So maybe I could word that differently. Nurture yourself. You know, really, really create a boundary and understand that if you don't have to, if you can't interact with somebody right now, there'll be another day, you know, and it doesn't have to be this big thing. Just take care of yourself. Don't ever go anywhere you do not want to go. Don't do any actions out of should. So start really paying attention. And it's funny because your other friends that are being dismantling, you develop this new language where if you don't show up, you just don't show up and nobody gets mad. (laughs) Because there's this blanket of understanding that, you know, the world is being rocked at a very, very deep level. So everyone's doing the best they can. And, you know, everyone who knows what's going on we have to carry a field of non-judgment so that we can protect each other and, and help each other and just take care of each other. Oh, that's so important. Yeah, you know, that's a huge one. Um, the other really key thing is you gotta do what you love. You have to do what you love every day. Even if you have no money or you have, you know, you're so sick, you know, you don't feel well, whatever the deal is, you got to find that thing that you love to do as a child, that thing that is your joy, and you have to do that every day. I don't care if it's if you're a skydiver and you're in the hospital, you got to watch skydiving. Right. Like you got to put yourself visually there. You can experience things in your inner space as a as a dream, a waking dream, and make it really intense. Put colors and sounds and people and music and textures and build your inner dream and your world and spend time in that space every day. And that visceral feeling will create this beautiful energy that will magnetize beautiful things to you. You with me on that, Brad? I've got the bobbing head syndrome. He's bobbing his head. (laughs) He's with me. Yes, I'm with you, 100%. (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. I I can never hear that enough. Right. It's so powerful. Yeah. And um, just doing that, and I'm not saying like by doing that, then that dream's going to happen next week. You know, I'm not, this is not the secret that I'm talking about. We're not doing anything to get something. That's, That's the difference. Right. You cannot bargain with your soul. This is not, you know, this is not a business deal. 
This is basically your soul saying, get on your knees and I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to take you down and your ego is not going to like this and your personality is not going to like this. But I love you so much and so immensely that I'm going to take you down to your core and I'm going to reveal to you who you really are, which is so much more beautiful than any personality or any ego ever was. And in the course of this, if you trust me and if you come willingly and with reverence and gratitude, I'm going to give you better than your dream. I'll, I'll one-up you, and I'm going to give you the cosmic dream, which your little human brain cannot even <laughs> no, fathom. Can't grasp. Like, you don't even have the ability. Yeah. Right? Right. But you got to let go. You got to keep hanging on to this old, um, really not that expanded experience right. <laughs> in order to get to the real yeah. juice, in order to get to the real beauty. And that's where the ego gets tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It starts, it starts wanting to interfere with that mm-hmm. and yeah. keep it small yeah. from the fear. Yeah, and I mean, you will have, we all have some level of ego. We wouldn't be here. You know, we would just, I'd be like, I'm out. Right. <laughs> so, so we are, you know, there's some level of ego, but we're talking about the ego that is, you know, telling you that you're some personality or that, mm-hmm. you know, you're your job or, you know, your credit score or, you know, the money you have in your bank or... Um, you know, all of that. So all of that is really key. And then um, the next step, see, I'm so bad. My mind is just, I don't know, is this five? Step five, maybe? Whatever. You lost it It too. It seemed like four, but the next step. next step. The next step, people, is um, open your eyes and so that you can see the miracle. Like literally open your eyes. So for instance, you might be sitting there and you might have lost your health insurance. You might have both cars repossessed. Uh, you might have no money. I'm, ta- I'm talking no money. Like I'm talking $14 in my pocket or no, or no money in my pocket. I'm talking going like getting quarters and trying to go, you know, buy a latte at Starbucks. Um, I'm not talking about I'm broke and I have a 401k or I'm really broke and I'm not supposed to tap into my savings. I'm not talking about that broke. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about really broke. <laughs> so um, why was I saying that? So, oh, to be open to the miracles mm-hmm. because then you'll see. So what I learned is that even though I had no more food and I was down to like two potatoes, miraculously something would just show up like, like clockwork. Right. And it, it would be either someone would call and invite us over or um, a package would arrive. Or I'd get an envelope in the mail from somebody, an anonymous person that sent me $100. Or I'd get a refund, you know, like those uh, car insurance refunds mm-hmm. that you don't know you're getting and then they just come. Or, it, it, you know, and it might have been just really small things. Mm-hmm. But I, I could always find a way to find abundance, mm-hmm. to take the lens of abundance and say, look at how blessed we are. We have a lemon. And we have a lemon. And look how blessed I was. I was living in a palace as well, like in my house, my architectural amazing jewel. You know, we were like the richest poor people ever, <laughs> right? Which right. was even weirder because no one really, really bought it. You know, it was like, it didn't make sense. Like, what? It doesn't look this way. No, it doesn't look this Although, way. 
It's curious. You seem to be absent of vehicles. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> How do you get? No, it's like somebody you must stayed. Have a driver. Or no, something. Andrew, who lives with us now, is teasing me because he and his and his ex wife stayed. They house sat for a little bit at our house, and uh, you know, I left. We were we were on our way somewhere, and uh, I left, and I said. Um, Okay, so, yeah, so there's no garbage service, so you're going to have to drive the trash out. <laughs> he was like, he was like, uh, what? I was like, yeah, you just, you know, you just got to drive it out. <laughs> it was like completely normal to me. Right? And I remember the first, actually, I just, I flashed on this one, this one experience that I'll share, which I completely forgot until right now. And that was, I had just lost the trash service, which was a hilarious moment in this dismantle because the poor trash guy, I hadn't been paying for quite a while. So he came to my gate and I met him at the gate and he was, you know, he was tense because he was there to repo his garbage cans. But I was completely in bliss. Like, I mean, I was, I was completely in myself of my sacred moment. So I remember just looking at him. He was like, I'm here for the cans. And I said, okay. And then I, you know, I was always hopeful that like the next month this thing would end and I would have money and then I'd be able to do everything. Keep your cans. So I just looked at him and I said, are you sure you want to do that? (laughs) 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 And he looked, he kind of looked left and looked right for a minute. And then he said, yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) And I said, okay, I'll get them for you. (laughs) So so I gave him the cans, right? And then the cans were gone, you know, and the, the kids are like, mom, they took the trash cans. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm like... They're, and I go, just put it in the back of the car. We'll, like, I'll try to figure it out. So I'm like, I'm looking like for a dump service. Like, how do I handle this problem? Like, this is, this is kind of like not that easy. And I didn't want to go dump it in like a neighbor's can. Like, I felt too bad <laughs> about that. No, that's like so lame. Sneaking away in the middle of the night, finding yeah, but, cans yeah. when they're put out for the next day is, is the room with it, the flashlight. Exactly. Know? It was so funny. <laughs> but then I forgot where we went. We probably went to a friend's for dinner or something. Yeah. And we were driving a home on Payuma, which is by our house. It's yeah. like this dark kind of mountain I road. I love that street road. And we're driving and it's really, really dark. And all of a sudden... The lights flash, and there's a dumpster on the side of the highway. And all the kids at once say, we all say, Mom, a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I pull over, and the boys jump out, and we dump the trash. And it's like, that was one day. You know, We did that every day for like five years. That's... It was okay, horrifying. L- let, me just, let me just put this out there right now. Why isn't there a sitcom about this exact... <laughs> Like here you are living in your your gorgeous house yeah. off of Mulholland. Your cars have been re- repossessed. <laughs> you're out. You're not. You're not. You're not dumpster diving. Although you know that may be, may be Rich part of it. Actually, did dumpster dive at one point. Of course, but, there's. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's it's treasures crazy. in those. But it's... you guys are looking for a place to put your trash <laughs> because the trash man <laughs> repossessed his cans. Right, and he made the right choice because I had no more money for like a long time. But right? it was just, it was funny that that little. In that little exchange. Yeah, it would be a hysterical sitcom. It would be sitcom. hilarious. Yeah, it would I mean, be. it's tragic and yeah. sad, but like, this is hilarious. It's kind of hilarious. Time. I mean, much of it was very, we had to, you know, you, you got to keep your humor in these yeah. things, you know, so we, we had to laugh. So it was really, really funny. I wonder, you know, what the boys and what the girls are going to express in their lives, you know, remembering what we did, you know, as the, like the Beverly Hillbillies living in in uh, in the house. But. The Beverly Hillbillies who had their money and then lost it. Yeah, so... Well, I would imagine they're going to express... They're, yeah. they're going to feel... They're going to identify themselves in a way that says this stuff comes, comes, comes and, goes, and goes, but yeah. I'm still here. Yeah, exactly. It was really, really, really profound. I mean, it really was. And we... Um, 
you know, I actually, I got a, a van. We Two people gave us cars, actually, after that happened. They yeah. just happened to have extra cars. I remember the van. Like around, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, you know, I would have to ration gas to make sure I could get the boys because they were still in middle, middle school. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the other thing, in Trapper, I would make them a smoothie in the morning. So at least I knew they had some good, you know, really good nutrition in them. And then I had no money for lunch or no money for food. And so Trapper, you know, so he's so positive and so sweet. He would hold my hand and then he would kiss me and just go, Mom, thanks so much for the breakfast. Hmm. And he'd just jump out of the car. That's beautiful. So sweet. Oh, my God. Like, so sweet. And then he would bum off off the kids at school. (laughs) So (laughs) the kids at school had a whole thing, you know. He would be like, yeah, no, I I borrowed two bucks from this person and two bucks from that. I got some French fries from that girl. or Someone was throwing away their cupcake. You know, he kind of just made it work. And then when we would get some money, you know, he'd say like, "Mom, I, you know, I need twenty five bucks." I'd be like, "Okay, here it is," you know. And then he'd pay the kids back. Oh. But the kids were like our float. So that's amazing. It's just it was it was ridiculous. It was just ridiculous, right. completely crazy in every way. But really, really, really profound. And you know, somehow because we were able to see it for what it was, um, and we we kept this perspective and I held that very strongly. Like I did not let anybody else bring their fear in my house. Mm -hmm. No. And even people in the new age community, the spiritual community, you know, they would come and they would, you know, give me their, um, you know, perspective of, you know, there's a curse on the house. Mm. And I was just like, Oh, shut Uh, up. I was like, this is my sacred moment. Like get out of the house. You know, it's like, there's nothing wrong. Like there doesn't have to be something wrong with you for these things to be happening. This is in fact the blessing. And Mm. I always say, if we're all really blessed, if we're truly blessed, we'll have one amazing sacred moment in our life where we are reconfigured. And most of us will have many <laughs> if we live long enough. So, um, yeah, I think um, I think that kind of is what I wanted to share. Um, there's great power in shifting your perspective. There's great healing in shifting your perspective. And when you shift that, you can then experience gratitude and love and and the comedy, the sheer comedy of the whole thing, uh, is also really really valuable. So, um, yeah, so for all of us, I wish, um, I wish us a, a kinder and gentler world uh, as we go through our struggles and our traumas that are defining um, the greater part of who we are. Yeah. So thanks for sitting here with me, Brad, and helping me to express this. Mm, thank you. Appreciate it a lot. And um, until next week... Uh, be kind and gentle to each other. And remember, if you know somebody who's going through a difficult time, consider uh, saying a sentiment similar to, I trust you and believe in you to find your way um, as uh, an energy of support that you could offer that would be meaningful to them. Namaste. Namaste. We seal this session into the lightness and wholeness of God, and so it is. If you're receiving some healing and you enjoyed the show, please do donate. And check out my Tools of Transformation at srimati.com. That's S-R-I-M-A-T-I dot com. You can also find me at Srimati on Twitter and Instagram. 
Again, that's S-R-I-M-A-T-I. Just